course, we met up with Robert a little bit later at Bible College in, in London. It was actually during that first year of Bible College that I sensed God leading me to go into full-time missions, and really the purpose of that was to exactly what we read about in Psalm 67, so I appreciated that psalm. I mean, of all the, the Sundays, you pick the one psalm that's one of the greatest missions chapters in the whole Bible, right? As you look at verse 2, that you we... We ask him to bless us, make his face shine upon us, so that God's way would be made known on the earth, his saving power among all the nations. And that is really what ABWE is about. We are here to fulfill the Great Commission among every people. That is to make disciples among every people group around the world. And so we currently have close to a 1,000 missionaries that are serving in 83 different countries and uh, we are now in specifically targeting six new fields that we're just opening because we found six places that are unengaged, unreached people groups that we are seeking to form teams to target and go to. One of them is Tokyo, Japan, a country with a very, very small number of believers. And there have been some efforts over the years, and we're intentionally trying to pour people into there. And many other countries, many of them closed, many of them not safe places, but that is where lostness is, and so uh, please join us in prayer as ABWE seeks to reach the nations. Uh, and that is our, our goal, is to come alongside of, of churches as well and help you to be able to fulfill your Great Commission objectives, because I know Forrest has had an impact around the world as well, and we want to join forces with you and partner in any way that we can so that all the peoples will praise God and all the peoples will praise our Lord together. And so you've gotten to know me a little bit. Let me do a little game here, and we'll get to know you a little bit, okay? So we're going to try a little game. This is an either-or game. So you're going to have to lock in an answer. So just see if I get a feeling for what people are like at Forest Baptist here. Pepsi or Coke? Okay, so raise up your hand. How many of you are Pepsi people? Put up your hand. Okay, we've got a few. How many of you are Coke people? Well, that was kind of even. And how many of you don't care? Okay, that's the rest of you. Okay, that's good. I said it was an either-or. You're kind of in the middle. Okay, let's try another one. Android or Apple? How many of you have no idea what I just am talking about right now? You don't even own a phone. Okay, so how many of you are Android people? Put up your hand. Not too many. How, are, how many are Apple people? And a couple are holding their, their iPhones in their hand as they answered. So actually, surprising, I think Apple kind of won that one. So that's, that's different. Okay, if you had a week off, mountains or ocean, where would you go? How many of you would like to go to the mountains? A few. How many of you would like, I don't mean like right now, but how many of you would like to go to an ocean? Okay, the ocean wins out, and that's not surprising because you're just a few minutes from Lake Huron, so maybe <laughs> there's nostalgia there. I could go on and on with all these kind of either-or scenarios, but that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at an either-or scenario in Scripture, but before I do that, I think we're on here, yeah, mention just again, ABWE Canada, as I shared, we are here because we want to serve you as churches. ABWE represents a global family of ministries, and each one of these symbols represents a different ministry that's under the umbrella of what we call a cross-borders for world evangelism. And every one of them is there specifically with a purpose to help you as a church. And so we have different ministries that are involved in short-term trips, different ministries that help you partner with international partners overseas uh, to find ways that you can support them directly. 
Uh, there's also the opportunity to send missionaries to go overseas because that's still something that is necessary around the world. There's also a ministry called Good Soil, and I'll be referencing that a little bit later this morning that will help you as a church to provide resources, training for evangelism and discipleship. And then there's an organization under ABWE called Every Ethne that wants you to, to be able to cross cultures without crossing borders, without even leaving the city of Forest. And uh, how can you reach your own community here in Canada? And I would just uh, give a, a shout-out to our, our Ukrainian family. We spent 22 years as missionaries in Ukraine. So it is wonderful to be able to shake off some of the dust off our Russian this morning and get to know you. So, приветствую вас. Очень приятно вам познакомиться. И пусть благословит во имя Иисуса Христа. It is wonderful that you have had that heart to be able to reach out to Ukrainian refugees. And I understand that you had another family, we praise the Lord, arrive yesterday and are quarantining. And, and we've been working with other families, trying to get them over here and get them connected with good churches and find ways that we can help them. And that's really the body of Christ. When one part of the world is hurting, we come alongside of them and we help and we show the love of Christ. And that's one very practical way you've done that as a church. And so I just want to commend you for that and encourage you to keep going. Keep looking for other peoples that, that need that kind of assistance that you can show love to. We do make, and I'll just skip through this, again, our our goal up there, but as we... I want to open up to the Gospels this morning in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to really start. Because we do make decisions every day. Some of those decisions are trivial, like Coke or Pepsi or other things. Other decisions are very significant, very important. Like, who will we marry? Very important one, young people. That's one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Or where will we live? Or where will we work? Some people like to just avoid making decisions altogether. And, of course, you know, if you don't make any decision, you've already made a decision. <laughs> There's always kind of a default. If you don't do anything, then you've already chosen not to do anything. But the greatest decision in life that we'll ever make is the one that Jesus is going to refer to here in Matthew chapter 7. And this comes a little bit towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going to present here two options. He's going to ask us to choose either one or the other. And that's in verses 13 and 14. So let me begin by reading this passage as he contrasts two gates, two paths, two destinations. In verses 13 and 14, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So he's talking about two different gates here. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. The narrow gate leads to a hard, narrow path. The wide gate leads to a wide and easy path. And whether we have consciously made a choice between those two gates, we have already chosen our path. And there is a default one, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But everybody is either on one path or the other. There's no in-between. There's no being in the middle or delaying the decision because we're going to be on one path or the other. So let's back up and give a little bit of context here. This is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, 7 is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. And then in verse 12, he's going to summarize 
everything that he's talked about in these three chapters in this in this one sermon verse 12 says so so this is his concluding statement here whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets what do we call that rule the golden rule we know that is the golden rule whatever you want others to do to you you should do to them also and he said that summarizes the law and the prophets if we went back to chapter 5 of the sermon again in matthew and verse 17 he points out there that he he jesus said do not think that i have come to abolish the law of the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them and how do we fulfill all of the law and the prophets it's in that one golden rule here in verse 12 so his summary statement so everything between chapter 5 and up to here in chapter 7 verse 12 all of that is presenting the ethics of the kingdom of christ this is what his expectation for how we ought to live looks like everything in there and all of that is a summary is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets and so now after presenting the ethics of the kingdom jesus is now going to warn his listeners here in verse 13 he's warning his listeners to make the wise choice between these two paths do they want to be part of god's kingdom are they going to buy into the sermon on the mount and all of the ethics that come along with it or are they not and so this is where this really becomes a pivotal point in his sermon and this is where he comes to the kind of the conclusion of his sermon and he, he this is the challenge this is where he's going to wrap it all up and say now you need to choose are you going to follow this path or not and so let's look at the two choices so we have an informed decision here the first choice is to follow the the wide gate that's going to lead to a broad path so looking at that one a little bit in these verses what do we read about that what do we read about this this wide gate he said first of all this is not this is an easy path it's not difficult to follow at all it doesn't cost anything there's no need to follow any of these kingdom principles from the sermon on the mount you don't have to listen to, you don't have to follow the golden rule you don't have to do any of this from matthew 5 verse 7 this is the default path that everyone is on everyone is born on the broad path they've they've already that's just kind of default you, you, you ever like most of you probably drive a car and you have this certain route that you drive on a lot like i know when we lived in in harrisburg not too long ago in pennsylvania we we moved a couple of times and so like you, you buy your new place and you get used to the new route for a while and you drive it for a couple of years after a while like you just you, the car just kind of drives itself you know what you know what that's like like you just get behind the wheel you're thinking about something and it just goes where it knows to go and at least it seems that way and then and then you end up moving like we did and then what happens you you, you stop thinking and the car just drives to your old house i've literally done that like five or six times driven all the way to the driveway of our former townhouse thinking i'm home and then i thought what am i doing i don't live here <laughs> and probably the people who bought it are thinking what is he doing in our driveway am i the only one that's ever done that <laughs> okay maybe you've never moved i don't know if if you move a lot that's it's really a problem because uh you know you, the car doesn't know what it's doing anymore and that really is like life this is kind of the default route your car just kind of automatically just steers in that direction in the course of your life 
Because we're all born on this path, the broad path. And so by not choosing the narrow path, you've already automatically made a decision to be on the broad path, whether you intentionally made that decision or not. That's, that's what you're doing. And it says in, in, in verse 13 that the gate is wide and the way is easy. It's easy because it doesn't cost anything. It's easy because there's nothing to do. You don't have to make a choice. You don't have to obey anything. There, there, there's no to-do list, no don't-do list. It, it's a very easy path. And frankly, that's a path that the majority of Canadians are following today. The easy path. It also says that those who enter it, by it, are many. Those who go through this are many because that's the default. That's what everyone is doing unless they choose to leave that path. It kind of reminds me of the 401. You know, you're driving by the airport, Pearson Airport. Have you ever counted, like, there's 20 lanes? And, and you think, like, all these people can't be wrong. They're all going that way, so it must be a good way to go. It's kind of like that in life. Like, surely all these people can't be wrong if, if, they're, if they're just going off and doing their own thing on Sunday morning and completely ignoring God and the church. Why shouldn't I? The majority are doing it. But then we also read in verse 13, what is the, where does this path lead to? It leads to destruction. They, they may not know that. There's no sign. There's no sign saying leading to destruction, going to hell. There's no, there's no road markers telling you where this path leads. So people are just living their lives normally, carrying on, doing what they've always done, unaware that they are on a path that is leading them to destruction. Oh, there'll be false teachers. And, and Jesus, immediately after these two verses, in verse 15, he starts to talk about the false teachers. In verse 15, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There will be lots of people today who say, Hey, don't worry about it. This path doesn't lead to destruction. This path leads to success. This path leads to comfort. This path leads to peace. This path leads to tolerance and to acceptance and to love. And they couch it in beautiful phrases. And people just blindly follow, thinking that they're on the right path. Those are the false teachers. Those are the false prophets that Jesus talked about. But then ultimately they get to the end of this broad path at the end of their life, only to realize that this was actually a path that brought them right up to destruction. Verse 21 and these are very sobering words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There will be, on the final day, many millions of Canadians who will get to the end of that path and that will be their day of reckoning. And they'll say, hey, I lived a good life. I, I raised my family well. I was a good member of our community. I even attended a church. I even contributed towards charity. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You're on the wrong path. Which path are we on this morning? And to be honest, this is the first time I preach from this passage. 
outside of Ukraine in, in Canada. And I, I'm not, I don't know why the Lord led me to share this this morning. And I'm trusting that all of, none of you, have, all of you have left that path, that you've all chosen to go on the narrow path. But perhaps God is speaking to someone here. And you're thinking, hey, I live a pretty good life. You know, I'm from a Christian family. I, I go to church uh, sometimes. I, I don't do too bad. I think I'm better morally than most people. Not only that, but maybe I'm more tolerant and accepting and loving than some of those church-going people. Perhaps you're thinking that, and yet you will find yourself on the broad path. Many people will be surprised on that day. So that's the wide path, and I trust that none of you are on that path this morning. We all were at one time, but we all left that path, didn't we, who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. So let's now look at option two. That's option one. Hopefully none of us will choose that option. There is another option that Jesus talks about, and that is the narrow gate that leads to the narrow path. We read about that also in in verse 13. He begins by saying, enter the narrow gate. And when he says narrow gate, I get a picture in my mind of something like this. Now, to be honest, I think this is actually a window, but bear with me. I think it's an old medieval window or something where they shoot arrows out there. But let's pretend. This is kind of my picture in my mind of what a narrow gate. And the word here is literally narrow, like not very wide across. And so, you know, it's kind of hard. You can't, like, we can't all rush out. If there were fire in here, we couldn't get out that. We'd have to kind of go through single file, crawling on our hands and knees. And that's really the kind of the picture in, in verse in, in this first use of that, uh, that Jesus gave in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. Um, and so I'd like to look at just a few things, a few four characteristics of this narrow gate so we understand what this is. The first one, uh, well, that, that's the first use, and we'll talk about four characteristics of that. Um, and then we'll look at the second, the second use of the word is actually in... The, the next verse, where he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Now here, the word narrow looks more like this. So this is actually a different word that was translated in our English Bibles as narrow, but it actually has a different meaning. The first one looked like that narrow, like not easy to get through because it's not very wide across. This use of the word narrow is actually going to be different, and it actually refers to something that is more oppressive, something that is caving in on you, pressing in from all sides. In another parallel passage, it refers to that, or pressed together. And when I think about that, I'm thinking kind of like the Kiev metro station. Any of you been in the Kiev metro? You know, you go in the entranceway, and like you kind of choose where you want to stand because that choice will determine like how the crowd's going to push you towards those turnstiles and you just hope that you're you're in the right spot because you just pressed shoulder to shoulder and you really have no way to get out or if you're on a on a tram and it's very crowded and they push people on and you're just kind of going and if your stop is like three stops down the way you think how am I ever going to get to the door there's just no way I can get through these people so you go up to the person in front of you and you say we've hold it to so you're saying, are you getting off? And if they aren't getting off, they'll kind of push off to the side and, and you'll switch places and let them get in front of you. And then you'll ask the next person until you get up to the door and then you can get off. If they are getting off, they say yes. Then you think, okay, I'll just stand behind him 
and he's going to go, and I'm just going to follow behind him, and that way I'll be able to get off. So that's kind of how they do it. But that's what it is. It's kind of this picture. This was actually taken by our daughter. She was in um, Petra, which is in Jordan, and kind of this is a, actually a pathway, but you see that like the sides are kind of caving in closer and closer as you go farther and farther, and it becomes not just narrow, but it becomes very oppressive with that heavy weight of the rock on every side coming towards you. So we see those two pictures here. So the narrow gate, first of all, we see that it's an unpopular choice. It's unpopular because very few people choose it, and it's very narrow. That's why you have that use of the word narrow. You can only go through this gate one at a time. You can't go through with your family. You can't go through with your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your parents. This is something that we must choose individually. Also, to get through this kind of a gate, you can't be carrying a lot of stuff with you. You're going to have to lay down everything to be able to squeeze through this gate. That means you're going to have to lay down your selfishness. You're going to have to lay down your pride. You're going to have to lay down your secret sins in order to to get through this gate. Not only is it an unpopular choice, and we know that the majority of people will never even find this gate, let alone choose to go through it. But it's also a difficult choice. And that's the idea of the pressing in on all sides, uh, the idea of being pressed together. It's actually the same word that we see in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, where Paul said, we are afflicted in every way. That word afflicted is the, word narrow, is the root word of narrow here. The idea is that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The person going through the narrow gate will experience persecution. They will experience opposition. How do we know that? Well, Acts 14, the Apostle Paul said that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It will be through difficulties and through trials. Not only will there be trials, not only will there be some form of persecution, not only will there be difficulties and oppression, it's also difficult because in order to enter through this gate, there's a condition. We have to perfectly fulfill the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. We have to be perfect in every regard. Have you read some of the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus told his disciples were characteristics of people who are entering the kingdom? It's a pretty ambitious set of goals. How many of us live perfectly by Sermon on the Mount principles? In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in, in chapter 5, verse 20 here, he said, you must surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I'm sure this would have shocked his listeners because the scribes and Pharisees were the most religious people in the world. They had hundreds of things that they they had on their don't-do list, and, the, and they were so religious. Their whole life was consumed with religiosity. And yet he said, you must surpass the, relig- the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember where the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? What was the answer? He said, you have to sell everything. And in a sense, what he was saying to them is, stop sinning, you have to be perfect. And he created this high bar for him to be able to get through that gate. Luke chapter 13, this is actually a parallel passage 
um, to the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the two choices, the two gates. But it's interesting, he added something. The, the author added some of Jesus' saying here in Luke 13 and verse 24, back up in the beginning of verse 23. Someone said to, to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? What do you think the answer is? Yeah, it'll be few. And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Because their righteousness wasn't good enough. They couldn't be good enough. Now there is an answer, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But this is a difficult choice. Number one, because there will be tribulation, there will be oppression, there will be people who will call you intolerant, there will people be people who are telling you that you're a hater, that you're a phobic person, there will be people telling you all kinds of things because you've chosen this narrow gate. And it's also difficult, as we've read, because the, the bar is so high that none of us in our own strength are able to get through this gate. It is a very, not only an unpopular choice, it is also a difficult choice. We also see that it is an intentional choice. Oops. This is a choice that we must intentionally choose. We can't just keep our hands down and say, I'm not going to pick either one. You have to decide intentionally that I will pursue and I will find this gate and I will enter through this narrow gate. And there are very few that will find it. In fact, there are billions of people in this world today who don't even know that this gate exists. There are at least 3 billion, 4 billion, depending on what statistic you read, people in this world who have never heard of Jesus Christ, who have no idea who he is. That is the gate. That is the narrow gate. And they've never even heard about it. So they're obviously going to go through the wide gate that leads to the wide path that leads to destruction because they have no knowledge that would cause them to leave that. So not only are there many people who have never heard about this gate, which means they will never enter into eternal life, there are many billions of other people who have heard, but they've never entered it. They have made a choice not to enter through this gate. Oh, they found the gate. They've heard of the gate. They, they may even walk up to the gate and admire it and say, isn't this a beautiful gate? This is a lovely gate. I just want to hang around this gate and just be close to it. But that's pointless unless they actually choose to enter into it and go onto that narrow pathway. As I think about those kind of people, I think about the, the parable of the, of the sower. Do you remember the parable of the sower? I can kind of, if, if we had kids here, I'd get them to come up and do a little skit, and we'd act it out, and that it kind of helps me to remember it. But remember that the sower went out to sow seed, and that seed represents what? The Word of God, the good news, the gospel message, right? So he's sowing that seed, and some of the seed fell in different places. Some of the seed, as you recall, fell along the pathway. And what happened to that seed? Look at the picture. There's a clue there. The seed that fell on the path, the birds came and took it away. And then you have some of the seed that fell on the rocky soil. What happened to that seed? It sprang up quickly, but it didn't really have any roots because it's in rocky soil. 
And so when the sun came out, it withered and died. And then you have the third one that was sown and landed in the weeds. And the weeds grew up and did what? Choked it and killed the plant. There was only one seed that actually produced fruit, and that's the seed that fell on the good soil. And that's the seed that produced 30, 60, 100 times. It produced spiritual fruit. And obviously, that's an analogy of people in this world and their response to the gospel message. There are many people that have heard the gospel, many people who have heard the word of God. And many of them make some kind of a response. It's like the people walking up to the gate and say, isn't this a beautiful gate? Isn't that pretty? And they may say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll join along with that. But they never truly understood. They never embraced that for themselves. And so when the, the, the cares of life come, it, it chokes them, or, or Satan comes and, and takes away that seed that was planted in there, and they never become children of God, and they never produce spiritual fruit. In fact, there's an explanation. Let me read Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. As his disciples asked him, tell us what this means. And so he, he responded in Matthew chapter 13, and beginning in verse 18. He said, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who truly understands it, comprehends it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, in another case thirty. I wonder sometimes, even in our evangelical Baptist churches, if there are some who have heard the word their whole lives, but never truly understood it and embraced it. And actually, there are three times that Jesus' words here are recorded in the Gospels. The first one is Matthew 13, which we just read. And it says, the one who is a true believer, the one whose seed was planted on good soil, that is the one who understands, who firmly understands the Gospel. Do you truly understand the Gospel today? the essential gospel truths about God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life, the essential cores of the gospel. And that's where the Good Soil Ministry of ABWE comes in. And if, if you'd like to learn more, just Google ABW, uh, good, sorry, good Soil. It'll be the first thing that pops up on your Google search, goodsoil.com. And there you can see all kinds of resources, tools. Um, we use storytelling. We use chronological events of the Bible to help show how that understanding unfolds from the very beginning of creation all the way up to Revelation. And you can be trained on how to share that with someone. There's some great tools and resources there available for you. A lot of it is free. There's hundreds of resources. Go on there and, and, and learn from that and, and help improve that. But do you truly understand the gospel 
Or have you just been following along this broad path, not even truly understanding it? You've seen the gate your whole life. You've heard about Jesus, but do you really understand? Could you articulate what the gospel is? And then secondly, he records his explanation of the parable of the sower in in Mark chapter 4. And it's identical explanation until he gets up to the good soil. And he says here, and it brings out another aspect, he says the good soil is the one who embraces the gospel message, who says, that's for me. It's one thing to intellectually understand the gospel. You can say, yeah, I understood Jesus died for my sins, and you just kind of rattle off all the words that you've heard since Sunday school. Maybe some songs are even going through your head. But have you ever embraced Jesus and said, that's for me? That's what it is to enter through the gate. And then the third one, Luke chapter 8, again, same explanation, and then we get up to the good soil, and Jesus said, those who are planted in good soil are those who hold on, who hold on to the gospel message and say, I won't let go. This is for me. Have you ever truly understood the gospel, embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and said, I will hold on? And those are the ones we read that will produce spiritual fruit, that will enter into that narrow pathway, that difficult, unpopular pathway. If you have never done that this morning, remember there is a default choice here. You may know the gate, you may have seen the gate, but unless you have chosen to enter through that gate, you've already chosen the broad pathway that leads to destruction. So we see it's an unpopular choice, it's a difficult choice, an intentional choice, it is also the wise choice. This For this, going back to Matthew Chapter 7, this is the gate that leads to life, that leads to eternal fellowship with God that can begin this very day. A life of abundance, a life of fellowship with our Father. So to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must enter the narrow gate, for there is no other way. So, John, how do you enter through the narrow gate. Well, we've said it's a difficult choice. In fact, you know what? On your own, it's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot. But there is hope. It's impossible because it requires perfection. But there is one who was perfect, and that is Jesus. And Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. Isn't that great? This narrow gate, this narrow door that we're talking about is Jesus. He said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It's impossible for us on our own, but all things are possible through Christ. And Jesus himself is that gate. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through through me. He says, you need to come through me. There's no other way. There's a lot of other false teachers out there that will tell you all kinds of ways to get to God. But Jesus said there's only one way, and that one way is through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is no other name by which we must be saved but Jesus. Salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way. 
Is that a popular thing to say? No, it's not popular today to say there is only one way. If we did a survey of the people living in this whole county and said, how many of you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? How many people would say yes? That's not a popular statement to make. It doesn't sound very Canadian, does it? It's not very tolerant. It's not a very loving statement. But that's what the scriptures say. First Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, says that there is one mediator between God and man. And who is that one mediator? The man Christ Jesus. He is the only mediator. He is the only way to get to God. He is the only gate. He is the only door. And we can only enter this gate by faith in Jesus alone and nothing else. We can't enter this gate through living a good life because we can never be good enough. Because God demands perfection. Go back and read Matthew 5 to 7. Does that look like you? Do you fulfill that perfectly? I don't think any of us do, do we? But God demands perfection. That is his standard. And everything that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, perfect obedience in deed and in thought, on the outside, on the inside, that is what he requires. And only Jesus was perfect. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for the fact that we were not perfect and for our sins. Jesus alone was perfect. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So we must now stop trusting in our own deeds, trust in God's gracious gift of forgiveness. We must turn from that wide path, ask God to forgive us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then once we do enter through this narrow gate, knowing that it's an unpopular choice, knowing that it's a difficult choice, we then are committing ourselves to a life of following Jesus and becoming his disciples and bearing spiritual fruit. I would again encourage you, uh, if you want to follow up more, you can speak with one of the elders of the church or one of the, one of the staff here at the church. You can go to the Good Soil site again. And, and, and I'm not sure who, I, I don't know you all, and I'm not sure who I'm speaking to here this morning. I, I'm hoping I'm speaking to children of God who have already chosen that, that narrow gate and have already placed their faith in Jesus. And if that is the case, then I would encourage you to be able to share that and communicate that with others. To be firm in what we believe, not compromising. That we be not apologetic for the fact that our faith is an exclusive faith in one person, in Jesus. There is only one way. Are you embarrassed by that? Are you willing to share that boldly in a culture that increasingly is becoming opposed to that concept? But perhaps I'm speaking to someone here who has never entered that gate. You may be thinking, you know what, he's right. I've been exposed to this my whole life. I've heard the gospel message how many times, and yet I've never embraced it and said that's for me. I would encourage you to make that choice today. If you don't make a choice, you've already made a choice. You've already chosen the broad gate. You've already chosen the broad path. It's one or the other. There's no standing with one foot on each side. We can't do that with this question. This question is too important. We have to commit to one or to the other.
Let me just pray with you for a moment before those musicians come forward. Heavenly Father, I pray at this very moment that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction. If there is anyone here who has never chosen the gate, who has never chosen to enter that narrow door, which is Jesus Christ, that you would just bring this overwhelming sense of conviction of sin right now. Father, that you would lead that person to make a decision this day. We know the stakes are just too high to put off this question, Father, and I just pray that you would, you would just create in them a burden, that you would draw them towards you. We know that you are standing on the other side of that gate with loving arms, willing to embrace and accept them and, and, and give them new life, life in Christ, abundant life, eternal life. Father, you are waiting. You are calling and I just pray, Father, that they would, they would make that decision today, that they would choose the path that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.